O God, by a star, which has held your son, mercifully lead us, who know you now by faith, to see the beauty of your eternal greatness through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and rules with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Father God, as we prepare this morning for Holy Communion, within the United Methodist Church, we individually ask ourselves what type of relationship we are in with God and our neighbor, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, as the scriptures remind us. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to view our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Help us to evaluate ourselves in relationship to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. It reminds us of Mary's prayer. And may Mary's prayer be an example for our prayer, that we would truly magnify the Lord our God. As we examine this scripture today, according to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, and it goes by way of television or radio or YouTube or iPads or whatever means of communication as we get the word out, help us to realize that firstly, the full acquaintance with scripture which this hymn exhibits, that we need to be acquainted with scripture. That's, as John Wesley, the father of Methodism said, the quadrilateral of fundamentals of Christianity are based upon scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And then secondly, in this hymn of praise, the Virgin Mary's deep humility, that as we come before you today, we ask that we would develop a humble spirit, especially as we partake in the body and blood of Christ. His body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. And then thirdly, today, as we examine this scripture and examine ourselves, help us to live with thankfulness as the Virgin Mary lived with a spirit of thankfulness. And then fourthly, today, Lord, help us to experientially be acquainted with God's former dealings with his people, which the Virgin Mary possessed. That God has blessed us in the past, and God's blessings will continue to be present in our lives as we seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And then lastly, according to the scripture, Lord, may we grasp and develop a firm grasp which the Virgin Mary had of Bible promises, the many promises that God has in his word for each, each and every one of us, for that God so loves each and every one of us that he gave of his only begotten son that the whosoever, as we are the whosoever, believe in, trust in, rely upon, should not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, for... Janet Peterson being with us, and we thank you for the tremendous memories we all share of Vern and 
those who have gone on to glory this past year in our congregation. We pray for those by way of listening ears today that that they would develop a sense of comfort and peace surrounded in God's Holy Spirit as you have taught us to pray, saying together this morning, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This time, Mike, would you come and share thoughts that are on your heart this morning? And if at any time you have um, a particular thought that God feels, that you feel that God is leading, just let Mike know and I, he would probably take a vacation Sunday and, and move aside and have you share some link. Um, I'll read the scripture. Okay. So um, again, as Mike comes this morning, um, if you're joining us by way of television this morning, our scripture lesson is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, and Mike will be sharing what God has laid upon his heart. The first thing we should notice in our scripture today, Luke 1, verse 46 through 56, is that the announcement to Mary of the Lord's birth is positioned right in between the birth announcements of John the Baptist and John the Apostles. Biblically speaking, the angel Gabriel first appeared to Zechariah to announce John the Baptist's birth, and then to Mary, announcing the Lord's birth. The angel's instructions included how to name these children. Mary's reaction to this unconventional bride is one not only a strong faith in God to provide. We should always notice that God loves us who, who we are, as who we are, but he never sleeps us there. We're not received him as we are on earth, here on earth. We're received as we did. Mere actions can unconventional way to see with strong faith in her this follows us to what we will be. Not what we are, but what we will be. Mary's song was extremely personalized for herself. The song Mary sang has similarities with much of what is recorded in our Bible today. The word saying in the angel's announcement displayed her familiarity with God. One may find similar references to her song in the book of Psalms 22, 44, 89, 98, and 147, and finally 203. Her song may also be compared to Hannah's song sung back in 1 Samuel chapter 2 after God granted Hannah a child. Like Hannah, Mary was blessed with the divine pregnancy. Mary brought out her grateful soul to God via song. Her song contains a vague outline of the eternal consequence of the Lord's birth. She hints at the servant of Israel and the final result of the mercy God promised to our fathers in the Old Testament. At the beginning of our scripture today, Verse 47, her song references a savior, along with a humble servant, 
that Jesus will be. Then she sings, Holy is his name. This is a direct reference to the coming Messiah, Jesus. Her song continues by knowing that his birthday is passed on to future generations. After this, she mentions the mighty things being miracles that he does, the Lord does with his hands. What follows is scattering of those that pride only in themselves. They will be scattered. Talk about prophecy. She sings of the diminishing of the ruling elite and says that the humble will be elevated. Finally, she mentions salvation of Israel and the mercy extended, extended to Abraham's descendants forever, not just a short time, for eternity. In other words, God's mercy will last forever or an eternity for all those who accept him. Thank you, sir. If you're joining us and listening ears, you might not only want to listen, but you may want to follow along. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. We find here um, a popular scripture. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's probably a form of scripture that's as popular next to the Lord's Prayer. And it gives us a kind of a, a pattern here of how we enter into the presence of the Lord and how we can personally develop our profile of worship as we worship daily and as we wake up in the morning and as we choose to go to bed at night. Mary's song of praise. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Whenever we ask the presence of the Lord, we should ask with his spirit here that where is our soul? Where is our soul this morning? Are we magnifying the Lord? And then what about our spirit? Mary says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Are we rejoicing in God, our Savior? And then we find that the third aspect of this formula of coming into the presence of God, Mary, the mother of Jesus, says, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Do we have this attitude of humility in our lives? And then it's not possibly, but it's surely, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. So if you want to be blessed, you follow those attributes and incorporate that behavior in your prayer and your attitude towards your relationship with God and one another. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Have you acknowledged this morning the great things that God has granted unto you during 2019 and then as you anticipate 2020? And holy is the same name. His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. We see a big um, scattering throughout the world and throughout our nation. As God is scattering the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, 
He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. Are you hungry this morning? He, God will fill you with good things. And he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. One of the most powerful statements of this hymn of praise is that in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word today. A number of the attributes of this portion of scripture I want to uplift this morning is that first, the, the full acceptance, the full acceptance with scripture which this hymn exhibits. I run in, in a more evangelical conservative circle of clergy friends. And I even see there a kind of a deterioration of God's word and a deterioration upon the dependence of God's word and scripture and tradition and reason and experience. Just within the last week, you probably heard a lot about the United Methodist Church. We've been um, blessed with people that have caught the vision within the evangelical and conservative circles to grant us some honorariums and grants that have been led to make it possible for us to be on 980 and, and promote the transforming grace, the transforming grace of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then secondly, we need to mark this morning that this is a hymn of praise, the Virgin Mary's sense of deep, deep humility. And then thirdly, the lively, it's a kind of a lively thankfulness of, of the Virgin Mary and how do we um, operate in this area of thankfulness. And then this experiential acquaintance with God's former dealings, the um, historical blessings that Mary was acknowledging how God had provided in the past and that God would surely provide in the future. And then lastly, this morning, we want to touch on the firm grasp, grasp it, grasp it this morning, which the Virgin Mary had of Bible promises and that you and I need to grab these promises too. First this morning, um, as we contain the Virgin Mary's famous hymn of praise, in the prospect of becoming the mother of our Lord. Now, next to the Lord's Prayer, perhaps a um, few passages of Scripture are, are better known than this passage of Scripture. We as Christians need to acquaint ourselves particularly with this hymn of praise. Whenever the church, and especially Church of England, 
would gather, their prayer book is used, and this hymn form was part of their service. Like, we have the Lord's Prayer as part of our service. But when John Wesley separated himself from the Anglican Church, and since Wesley had no desire to start another congregation or another church, but he broke away from his father's church, the Anglican Church, because it had become quite liberal. And since that time, there's been many schisms within the Methodist Church, the breaking away of the Nazarene Church and the Wesleyan Church, EUB, Evangelical United Methodist. And we need not wonder what the compilers of this prayer book gave this hymn of praise of Mary. It's so prominent in, in its place. We do not worship Mary as some denominations may. We hold Mary um, a sinful person like you and I in need of grace. No words can express more aptly the praise for this redeeming mercy which ought to form part of the public worship of every branch of, of Christ's church. And as we study carefully and mark, firstly, this this first acquaintance with, with Scripture, which this hymn exhibits, we are reminded as we read it in this morning, the expressions of the book of Psalms, and above all, we are reminded of the song of Hannah in the book of Samuel, for Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. It's very evident that the memory, the memory of the Blessed Mary in the Blessed Virgin Mary was, was stored with Scripture. She was familiar. I believe that Joseph and Mary were great teachers, were great parents for Jesus. And whether by hearing or by reading in the Old Testament, and so when out of the abundance of her heart, the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke, and she she gave her venting, her venting, her vent to her feelings of scriptural, scriptural language. Moved by the Holy Ghost, she broke forth into praise. She chose language which the Holy Ghost had already consecrated and the Holy Ghost had already used in the Old Testament. And let us, let you, let you and let I, um, every year of our lives and every month of our lives and week of our lives and every day of our life become more deeply acquainted with Scripture. I've challenged many of my parishioners, you've heard me over and over again the many years I've been here. I remember a time in my ministry, it's going on nearly 50 years ago, when, when if you were... Uh, administrative person or served on a board, you had to write a contract. You had to put a signature that you would not participate in alcoholic beverages. The early United Methodists and EUBs always made a promise that no alcoholic beverage would touch their lips. That's one of the Schisms that occurred in the early Methodist church which developed the Nazarene church because 
Jesus was a Nazarite, and a Nazarite could not touch any alcoholic beverage. And I always challenged my administrator personnel, whether they be on the ad board or the PPR or trustees or whatever committee, that they should regularly, regularly read scripture. And there was a little contract, a little form we would sign and they would make a commitment that not only no alcoholic beverages, but they would regularly study the Bible. And many of them chose the upper room because the upper room's been around forever and it was Methodist publication. Let us strive this year of 2020. Let us study the word of God. Let us search into it. Let, let us dig into it. Let us meditate on it until it dwells richly in our lives, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. And in particular, let us labor to make ourselves familiar with those parts of the Bible which, like the book of Psalms, describe the experience of the saints of old. The old divines, the, the divines were the old saints by transforming grace. We shall find it more helpful to us in all our approaches to God because we want to approach God, don't we? It will supply us with the best and the most suitable language both for the expression of our wants and our thanksgivings. Such knowledge of the Bible can doubtless never be attained without regular daily prayer and daily study. But the time spent on each study is never to be misspent. misspent. It, it will bear fruit after many days and months and years of our lives. Well, let us mark secondly this morning this, this hymn of praise how the Virgin Mary's had a sense of deep humility. Our um, society that you and I live in um, likes to um, walk all over a sense of humility. But here we discover that humility is, is something that, that's within our reach, and once we grasp humility, we get in the presence of God. The Virgin Mary was chosen of God to be a sense of high human necessity of being. That the Messiah's mother speaks of her own low estate, low estate and acknowledges her need of a savior here. She does not let fall a word to show that she regarded herself as sinless or immaculate person. This is a, a human translation or an extra biblical word. But on the contrary, the Virgin Mary uses the language of one of those who has been taught by this transforming grace of God and the grace of God to feel her own sins and, and so far from being able to save others requires a savior for her own soul and for her own spirit. We may safely affirm that none would be more forward to to reprove the honor paid by the Roman church to the Virgin Mary than, than the Virgin Mary herself. But let us use the pattern of scripture. Let us use 
this, this really holy mother and her pattern. Let us copy this holy sense of humility of our Lord's mother while we steadfastly refuse to regard her as, as some mediator or, or to pray to her. Her intention was never to be a mediator or a means of praying. Like her, let us be lowly in our own eyes and think little of ourselves, but great when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, that humility is this highest grace that can adorn the Christian character. If you want to grow in the grace of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, strive towards humility. It, it's, it's a true saying of an old saint and an old divine that, that a person has just as much Christianity as they have a measure of humility. It's this transforming grace which of all is most becoming to human nature. Why is it we adore a sense of humility in others but oftentimes think it's not something that we want to be highly known for? It, it's this transforming grace of humility in our human nature and above all else it's this reach that we as converted persons should reach towards and because all are not rich all are not learned all are not highly gifted all are not preachers or teachers of the word but but all of children all the children of god may be clothed with humility and let us mark thirdly this this lively, it's a lively thankfulness of the Virgin Mary. It stands out prominently in, in all the part of this hymn of praise. It, she says, she begins it by saying that her soul, her very soul, magnifies the Lord. And, and she, then she says her spirit, her spirit rejoices in God. And then she says all generations shall Call me blessed, for great things have been done for her, as great things can be done for you and I when the Holy Spirit resides in our lives. We can scarcely enter into this full extent of, of feelings with, with a holy Jewess, a follower of Jesus, as a, as a Jew she would, would always be, would experience on finding herself in Mary's position. But we should try to recollect them as we read her repeated expressions of praise. Again and again, we find that this mother, this human mother, had to ponder and wonder about what her son was to do and be and become. We too shall do well to walk in Mary's steps in this matter and and, and cultivate a thankful spirit for truly a thankful person is a thankful person and an unthankful person is an unthankful person. It, it has ever been a mark of God's most distinguished saints in every age. David in the Old Testament and St. Paul in the New Testament are remarkable for their sense of thankfulness. 
And again and again, the many psalms that David wrote were always beginning and ending in praise and thankfulness. And St. Paul in the New Testament, we seldom read much of their writings without finding them as a form of blessing and, and praising God. And let us rise. Let us rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that, that we are debtors. You and I, we are debtors. And, and that every day we have more mercies. We have far more mercies than we can utterly deserve. Let us look around us every day and every hour and every week as we travel through the world and, and see whether we have not much to thank God for. If our hearts are in the right place, we shall never find any difficulty in building an Ebenezer. An Ebenezer was, was something where the glory of the Lord had departed. Ebenezer means the glory of the Lord had departed. We, well would it be if our prayers and our supplications, our every words were mingled with thanksgiving according to 1 Samuel chapter 7, 12 and Philippians chapter 4, 6. And let us mark fourthly, fourthly the experiential acquaintance with God's former dealings with his people, which the Virgin Mary possessed. She speaks of God as one whose mercy is on them that fear him. That if you want the mercy of God, you need to fear and reverence God. You know, sometimes you hear people, I worked a number of years on road construction, and I would run around with a bar of soap in my pocket. I may not be able to say a lot to my foremans and my fellow workers, but I could pull out that bar of soap and they knew what I was thinking. Their vulgarity and how they would use the Lord's name in vain. I developed the name Glory Boy, Boy, Jesus person in, in my workplaces, in my younger years, and even at seminary. You go back to seminary and you're going back to some of those old pictures and my surname because I came out of the Jesus movement was the glory boy Mary spoke of God as one whose mercy is on them that fear him as one who Mary says scatters the proud what an indictment upon the proud that that God scatters the proud and puts down the mighty and and sends the rich empty away as one who exalteth them of low degree, God exalts those of low degree and filleth the hungry with good things. She spoke, no doubt, in, in recollection of the Old Testament history. Mary remembered, she remembered how Israel's God had put down Pharaoh and the Canaanites and the Philistines and Sennacherib and Haman and Belshazzar. She remembered how God had exalted Joseph and Moses and Samuel and David and Esther and Daniel and never allowed God's chosen people to be completely destroyed. 
And in all of God's dealings with herself, in placing honor upon a poor, a, a poor woman of Nazareth, in raising up a Messiah in such dry ground as the Jewish nation seemed to have become, she also traced the handiwork of Israel's covenant God. The true Christian should always give close attention to Bible history and the lives of individual saints. We are living in a day in an age where the Methodist church is being split because people don't pay attention to the Old Testament and they have little regard for the New Testament. We're supposed to be persons of only love and forget the law. Let us often examine the, the footsteps of the flock. Such study throws light on God's mode of dealing with God's people. God is of one mind. What God does for you and I in time past, God is likely doing to do in the times to come. He's always been faithful in the past and he'll continue to be faithful in the future. And such study will teach us what to expect. Check, check your unwarrantable expectations at the, at the door and encourage one another with the joy of the Lord. Because as Nehemiah 10 reminds us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Happy is the person whose mind is well stored with such knowledge. It will make one patient and it will make one hopeful. And in conclusion today, let us mark lastly the, the firm grasp, just grasp, the grasp which the Virgin Mary had on Bible promises and Bible promises in this prayer here and Praise. She, she ends her hymn of praise by declaring that God has blessed Israel in remembrance of God's mercy. We need a blessing. Our country needs a blessing. We need to remember God's mercy and that God has done as God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. These words show clearly that, that she remembered must, as you and I must remember, the old promises made to Abraham that in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Those who bless Israel shall be blessed. and Those who curse Israel shall be cursed. And it's very evident that in the approaching birth of her son, she regarded this promise as about to be fulfilled. Let us learn from this holy woman's example to lay a, a very sense of a firm hold on Bible promises. It's of the deepest importance to our, to our peace, to our peace to do so. Promises are, in fact, the very manna, the very bread of heaven, that we should daily eat and the water that we should daily drink as we travel through this wilderness of life, this wilderness of this world. We, we see not yet all things put under us. We, we see not Christ in heaven and in the book of life and the mansions, the mansions that are prepared for us. We walk by faith, 
And this faith that you and I possess leans on these promises. But on those promises, we may lean confidentially and confidently. They will bear all the weight that we can lay on them. We shall find one day, like the Virgin Mary, that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. And that what God has spoken, God will always in due time perform. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio and all their forms of communication today, let us learn from this holy woman's example to to lay a very firm sense of hold on Bible promises. It's, It's of the deepest importance to our peace and in the peace of our country to do so. Promises are, in fact, the manna that we should daily eat and the water that we should daily drink. And as we travel through this wilderness of this world, we see not yet all things put under us. We, we see not Christ face to face and, and heaven and the book of life and the mansions that prepared for us. But we walk by faith and, and this faith leans on these promises. But on those promises, we may lean Confidently, they, they will bear all the weight that we can lay on them. We shall find one day, like the Virgin Mary, that God keeps his word and, and that what God has spoken, God will always in due time perform. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you pr- pray this prayer with me? Those who are listening t- today, yes, you. Yes, you. Dear Jesus, I'm a fallen, sinful individual, but I seek your help. Forgive my sins. Come into my heart and life. The things I've done and the things that I've left undone. Forgive my sins. Come into my heart and life. Be my Lord and Savior, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper here, if you'd be so kind to turn in our United Methodist Purple Hymnals to pages 9 through 11, pages 9 through 11. Within the United Methodist Church, we believe in open communion where you judge your relationship with Christ and your neighbor. We ask that you'd come shortly here. You may kneel as long as you would like to kneel at the altar as you administrate the symbols of his body and his blood. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. 
holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him. He preached good news to the poor to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who were oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus gave birth to the church and delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And when the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And on, on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread, wine, the unfermented grape juice, Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. Until Christ comes in, in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet through your son Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Come now and... The ushers control a comfortable number as you come and you may so choose to either kneel or you may so choose to remain standing. Take as much time as you'd like. The offering plates are in front of the church. We ask that you'd come. Please come. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body for we partake at the one loaf. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. The body of Christ given for, for you. The blood of Christ given for you. Please come.
the body and blood of Christ, his body which is broken for you, his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go as we ponder anew your body and your blood. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us, Lord. His body which is broken for you, his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. If there are those by way of television this morning who would like to have a home visited in the body and blood of Christ or by way of radio, Body and blood of Christ, take as much time as you'd like. Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. In the strength of your spirit, we give ourselves for others in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Partake now of his body and his blood, his body which is broken for you his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Jesus said, I am vine and you are the branches. Arise now and go and bear fruit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn with me to um, page number 11. Let us um, agree in this prayer. Let's turn it in our hymnals. On page number 11. Join me in this prayer. Page number 11. Eternal God. We give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit and give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Yet if you turn with me to our offertory prayer and print it in the bulletins. God of glorious surprises, like the wise men sent by Herod, we too come as searchers for a glimpse of your presence. As were the people in those days, we are surprised that we find you not in a palace, but in a stable. Surrounded by a family and poor refugees, and worshipped by the lowly shepherds. Like them, our gifts from our wealth seem simultaneously too material and woefully shabby and outshined by what you have given us. Just the same, use our gifts for the work of mercy and compassion, as would befit the Savior who sleeps in a manger. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Let us turn to our offertory hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Purple, number 230. 
in honor of the anniversaries of Chris Joe and Jeannie Winterone. As we continue to pray for the friends of Kathy and Gary, for Ken Gardner and Joseph Campbell, uh, the husband of, of um, our beloved um, Bertel Bloxel. O little town of Bethlehem, purple number 230, please.
remind us of the remember many memories that we all share in our Christmases past, growing up and with our parents and our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our friends and our relatives. There's so many remembrances of your mercy. Eternal God, by the birth of Jesus Christ, you gave yourself to the world. Grant that by being born in our hearts, we may be saved from our sins and restore within us the image and the likeness of our Creator, to whom be everlasting praise and glory, world without end. Amen. Amen. If you have any announcements, just kind of clear them with our praise team. And I think, Gary, you may have an announcement that change from our normal Wednesday meeting to a Thursday trustee meeting. And, and um, Robin, did you have an announcement that you wanted to make? Okay, any? Right, well, we're gonna, uh, I know Kathy, is Kathy here, Gary? Okay, we're, but I know Robin had a few thoughts that she wanted to share too, so. And um, we'll have our coffee hour. Happy birthday to you. didn't include in my uh, my list or notes. Check out verse 50, verse 53. What it says is the Lord filled empty people. Compare that to your stomach. When you're hungry, what do you want to do? You want to fill your stomach. What what Christianity does to us is fill our spirits with real food, heavenly food. All other religions are placebos. They make people feel good, but they're not filled up spiritually. I just wanted to point that out. When he says filled hungry people with good things, that's what he was talking about. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, we don't have any high-level kind of stewardship campaign, but we do provide these stewardship letters uh, monthly. And I'll show you what it does. We're going to record like three seconds. Testing, one, two, three, and then... We're good. Don't touch the phone or go like this is the screen or we're in trouble. Well, good morning. Good morning, Dan. Uh, I'm Reverend Dan Johnson, superintendent for the Twin Cities District, which, which means I have the privilege of working with our United Methodist congregations in the Minneapolis-St. Paul and First and Second Ring suburbs. And so I bring you greetings from our Bishop Rousseau, your 66 sister congregations across the Twin Cities District and about 360 congregations across the state of Minnesota. It is a joy for me to be with you in the Olivet Congregation today, as well as to our television audience, our uh, radio audience, our podcast audience. What a wonderful witness it can be when, when it's, the Word of God is not confined just to these walls but the work and the witness of Olivet United Methodist Church is offered to your community at large. Thank you to Reverend Randy Tabor for his wonderful invitation for me to join you, uh, with you today, as well as for, as he alluded to, our ongoing friendship and, and connection through the years that, that spans um, 
that spans beyond just our collegial relationship, but our connections with our family as well, and to his wife, Grace. We're in the, the season of Epiphany right now, the season after Christmas, uh, when we often talk about the, um, the light and the hope and the revelation of God breaking into our lives. In this kind of season, we're often assume, uh, in fact, called to assume the posture of a prophet, to be able to actually sort of peer into that light and love of God, to see where God might be leading us in new directions in our lives. And when we assume the posture of a prophet, um, we harken back to uh, what the Old Testament prophecy was really like. Sometimes we get the, uh, the notion that prophet means some kind of mysterious fortune teller kind of thing. And when in reality, biblical prophecy was much more, of, um, instead of fortune telling, truth telling. Looking around at current circumstances and then forecasting consequences, future consequences of behavior for current behavioral practice. And that's essentially what was happening in our scripture passage for today. The prophet Jeremiah had about a 50-year-long ministry that spanned about 25 years on either side of the year 600 BCE, 600 before the Common Era. And during that period of 50 years of, of the prophet Jeremiah's ministry, he saw the gradual erosion of his beloved southern kingdom of Judah. The, the, the country started to, to, to fracture and to fray apart. Uh, the, there was a destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and many of his people over the period of his ministry began to be exiled by the Babylonian Empire that was taking over their country. And that concerned him deeply. But he also called out the fact that these weren't just random, random kind of consequences or random punishments on his people, but were the result of some things that he was observing over the course of a period of time. And those are listed in our scripture passage for today. We read that, um, that Jeremiah called to his very own people and said, hey, you've forgotten your first love, what your devotion to God that originally founded you as a nation. He went on to say that, that um, they were pursuing things that were worthless, um, material trappings, organizational and institutional kinds of things that they were, they were um, longing and, um, and coveting at the expense of paying attention to things that are enduring, namely their relationship with each other and their relationship with God. And then he says, look over the whole land, people of Judah. Uh, have you ever seen this before? You've, you've switched out your gods, and instead of following the one God, devoted yourself to multiple kinds of gods that you start to pursue. You've exchanged your glory for these things that have no value. And then finally, in verse 13, he writes, you've committed a couple crimes here at their very root. You've forsaken me, the spring of living waters, forsaken the, the living water, and you've dug wells, broken wells, that can't hold water. Now, this metaphor of wells was really key for them. In uh, the Middle East at that time, uh, in an arid part of the country, wells were life-sustaining. They were, they were critical for people to even live. And they knew full well that if they didn't locate the wells properly and line them properly, those wells would soon start to seep out water. They'd become broken and no longer to be able to hold the water that was so desperately needed. He used that as a metaphor to point to the people of Judah and say, hey, 
You've been pursuing a lot of these institutional, organizational, material trappings for a long time. And those are just, at one point in time, they did connect you with God and each other. But you haven't, um, you haven't been able to maintain them properly. In fact, you start to worship the institutions themselves rather than God. And you've lost your living water. Now, um, the whole image of, um, of life-sustaining water and wells have literally and figuratively been on my heart and in my hands in the last year. Um, Pastor Randy knows that, that we have a, a little cabin that's been in the family um, really since the Second World War. It's been handed down from my grandparents to my parents and then to my brothers and I. Uh, it's uh, near Motley, in fact, really used to serve uh, in the Staples area. And uh, Randy and I first connected in Eagle Bend. It's kind of in that part of the state. Uh, this, uh, the, this little cabin on Lake Alexander was first built by my grandfather during the Second World War. A little more than a bunkhouse, an outhouse, and then he drove a, a sandpoint for one of those old um, hand pump wells. And that's what I grew up with. We have wonderful memories on Lake Alexander, staying in that little place. And then in 1974, uh, my dad and I, right before my senior year, year of high school, my dad and I built a second little cabin on the property, just four rooms. But this time we're adding indoor plumbing, and that was a big deal. And, and so I still remember back in the summer of 1974, hand digging um, uh, a crawl space about five feet deep, and then literally driving a sand point, a, a piece of pipe about 30 feet down until we hit water. Then we connected that, that pipe with the, with the water to a pump and a, um, to a holding tank, and then we built the house this little cabin right over the top of it. Now there was a little trap door in the kitchen so you could get down there to um, turn the pump on and off, but the house was built right over the top of the, um, of, of the well system. And it was wonderful. We had wonderful tasting, cold, refreshing well water. Have any of you tasted water straight from the well? Just marvelous, isn't it? And, um, and for some of the family, flush toilets for the first time <laughs> were a really helpful addition. Um, but over the course of a couple decades, we started to notice something. All of the fixtures, the, the toilet and the sinks and the bathtub, all started to get filled with, a, with an orange calcification, very discolored, and there was an odor to the water, and we started to fear that our water source was somehow deteriorating. We tried a couple of different water treatment systems, but um, to no avail, they helped a little bit, but went right back to being just about as bad as they always were. And so we really were worried that we'd lost quality water. Well, last year, we decided to do a little upgrade on our cabin. I told Pastor Randy about this. With a growing family, we wanted to add a second bathroom and another bedroom for, so to accommodate the grandkids and stuff. But we couldn't do any additions on it because the foundation didn't meet code. When my dad and I built it, we just put a course of cement block all around it and built the little cabin on top of it. Well, to meet code and, and add any other addition, we hired somebody to actually lift the cabin up off of its foundation, move it to the back of the lot. We excavated a full basement underneath it and then laid, laid the block. So now we had a full basement underneath and we re relocated all the plumbing to that new location uh, underneath, put the house back in place. But in the process, we had to get rid of that old sand point because that really didn't meet code anymore either. So when the house was moved, 
it would suddenly expose the sand point and we pulled it out. And this is what it looked like. So after about 44 years, that sand point that we had originally driven into the ground to be our source of water became so totally encrusted with rust that this is what it looked like. So that even though this was supposed to be our source of the water, it was wonderful when it started. It was, um, you know, uh, just, just like a pure steel and with uh, some clear netting on it. The very instrument that we had used to access the water became the very source that was tainting all the water that we were trying to, uh, to access in the future. So that's what it looked like. Um, and so when we, uh, we obviously didn't continue to use that, but I did save it. And then when we went to, uh, to create our new water system, it looks a little bit different now. So we drill, the code requires now that you drill one outside of the building so that you have a way to maintain it and replace it if anything would go wrong. And we drilled down deeper, the same water aquifer, but drilled down much deeper. And then it was lined with a PVC pipe, much like this, so that, uh, that you can have a, a replaceable and maintainable a pump system that then is lowered down into the water through this casing, and you can pull it out as you need to to clean it, maintain it, however. And so we now have a new water system located outside of the cabin, wonderful water, same exact water source as always, but just a different kind of well, a different, more, more uh, accessible, and maintainable and adaptable well system to provide that water now for our future. So what I've been pondering um, in the last year particularly is that in that very same year, or two years prior, 1972, just two years before I drove this sand point uh, down with my dad for our cabin, uh, the United Methodist Church met as a general conference and declared that homosexuality was incompatible with Christian teaching. Uh, a majority of people at the time felt that was a necessary declaration for the purity of the Wesleyan movement. And I know that where there's differences of opinion, um, even within this congregation, certainly within United Methodism, about human sexuality. But no one can deny that somehow a driving that standpoint down at that point in time has created a measure of divisiveness within our, our, our family of faith. In fact, in many ways, that, uh, that sandpoint that was driven down in 1972 has so tainted our life and ministry that that's become almost a focus for our ministry rather than the things that unite us and call us into Christian service. And so I, I grieve uh, that that has happened, and I, it's obvious that at this point in time, no amount of repair or replacement or renovation is really going to fix our denominational divide over human sexuality and biblical interpretation. And so you may have seen, in, um, especially in recent weeks, certainly in the past year, but more prominently in, re in the last week or so, uh, information about the uh, new divide that's starting to become available and accessible for the United Methodist Church. The way that I like to think of it, while at one point it sort of feels like a a divorce, uh, it could be an opportunity to think of a new birth. There are opportunities for people, regardless of your position on the theological and sociological spectrum, 
to still live within our United Methodist and Wesleyan heritage, but perhaps have two or maybe more streams of expression. So in other words, same, same water that we all can keep drawing from, but different wells, uh, different mechanisms for people to minister authentically in the respective contexts. So what came out most recently is um, uh, a protocol for potential separation. Now, we have not divided as a denomination yet. It's just another proposal for general conference that we'll be meeting in 2020 right here in Minneapolis. And uh, this one, this protocol for separation, among several other um, pieces of legislation, provides some opportunities for the United Methodist Church to gracefully perhaps separate in our work and witness in the future so that we can focus on our Wesleyan call of work and witness but not be tied up, allow individual expressions and interpretations in our respective missional contexts over the issue of human sexuality. I see it as a way, in other words, to, to drive a new well, several new wells, into the same um, life-giving water. I also want to share with you that as your superintendent openly, I, I am more in the progressive inclusive side of this movement and working to, to break open, break down some of those barriers to, for all people to be involved in the life of the, of the church. But at the same time, I'm also the superintendent for more traditional expressions of the Wesleyan movement. So I want to walk with our congregations as well that may be more traditional in your view of scripture and, um, and human sexuality to also land in the right place for you. And so that's a part, a part of why I'm here today, but there's a second part of why we're here today, too. It's to begin to dream about our future. It's not tied just solely to biblical and um, sexuality interpretation. Uh, we see ourselves here at Olivet United Methodist Church as a congregation with a long history of, of, um, of ministry in this community. But it has dwindled significantly over the years to the, the uh, small group of faithful souls that are represented by the people here today. And I want to thank you for your commitment through the years. But sometimes, just like this uh, sand point, our ministries need to change. Sometimes we hang on to the ways that we've always been doing ministry, trying to draw, draw up the water from the same old wells that have long since deteriorated, without an understanding of how to reinvent our, our delivery systems for, for, for the word, not changing the word. You know, that's still rooted deeply. It's the same, uh, same life-giving source of God, um, creator, um, redeemer, and sustainer. But how do we offer that and repackage that in new ways for new people? And so, in part, there may be uh, some op opportunities for some partnerships that would allow the continuing sustainability for this congregation, even as you sort out what your future may be. But before we immediately jump to that, I, reminding us of, of some of our, our own collective sins um, in, this, um, in this time and place. We have to look closely at how we may have forsaken the spring of living water and whether we have dug wells, broken wells, that can no longer hold water. So I challenge you to ponder that, even as then, looking back, you start to dream forward. <coughs> Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, birthday celebration. 
wonderful uh, prophet in his own right in our time and place, and a wonderful dreamer too. In fact, uh, uh, a hallmark uh, ser sermon speech of his was a, was a dream speech, but not everybody re realizes uh, how the, or the origins of how that all evolved. Martin Luther King Jr. was an, a rising witness in the civil rights movement back in the early 1960s, and he knew that the March on Washington was going to be one of the most significant moments of his career. Uh, he was supposed to give the keynote speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial on August 28, 1963. And uh, he prepared well for that speech. In fact, over-prepared. He was usually an extemporaneous speaker, but he worked hard at trying to um, craft a message uh, uh, so tightly that he, um, he, he no longer even had hardly a voice left in it. As, as other people began to tell him what he should be saying that day. So when he rose to the podium in front of the Lincoln Memorial that day, he still didn't, wasn't sure about his content or the direction of his message. And he started to stumble a little bit about partway through in terms of uh, grasping the attention of the, of the audience gathered there that day. And one, a, a famous gospel singer, Amelia Jackson, was behind him and realized that, um, uh, that um, Martin Luther King Jr. was struggling with his witness, and she, she whispers to him from behind him, he says, tell him about the dream, Martin. And, and what she meant was, she'd been at a, a rally of his uh, a, a few months before where he started to talk about uh, dreams that he had for the future. So he heard that, and then he started to, um, to pitch images that he had of the future. I have a dream. And with that, he began to connect with his people and all the rest was history. Jim Wallace from Sojourner's Magazine reflects um, on that, the moment, that turning point in his speech. He said, there was so much to complain about that day for black Americans, and there's much to complain about today for many in this nation. But King taught us that our complaints or critiques or even our dissent will never be the foundation of social movements that change the world but dreams always will. Just saying what is wrong will never be enough to change the world. You have to lift up a vision of what is right. So I invite us to do some dreaming today. Uh, maybe silently in your own hearts in this moment, but, but together in our meeting that follows. For me, I dream in this time and place for, for our denomination to stay strong and to stay together for this period of time, to stay strong by focusing on, on, on the, the, the core elements of our work and witness together. So, uh, the, the ministries of our Minnesota Conference, the ministries of each of our local churches, so we can grow in love of God and neighbor, reach new people, and heal a broken world. Any other focus for us begins to alienate and divide us. And I also hope that we would stay, in addition to staying strong, that we'd stay together Remembering that we have uh, a common heritage together, we have uh, a common history together, we have a common commitment to serve in our future together. Now, we may not walk in lockstep, even as soon as a year from now, there may begin to be a couple different paths for current United Methodists, but we can still be our brothers and sisters on this common journey together. Another thing that I encourage is for Olivet United Methodist Church also to begin a dreaming of what your future might look like.
if left to the current trajectory of where you've been at, th there isn't much further, um, further growth and development that one anticipates. But what if we began to partner with, other, with, with some other ministry that would allow you to remain in this building, but also have others that could provide a further, um, uh, a, a further witness of different kind in this community? And so it, we've been looking for partnerships for all of United Methodist Church for, and you've developed some of those with some of the folks that have, are using your facility. That's been part of your, your ministry for close to a, at least five years, maybe 10 years now, with some others that have been worshiping with you. But one new proposal would be that we have a, a Korean congregation, Korean United Methodist of Minnesota, that now um, uh, has a sole, their, their facility, they've, um, the facility that they were in previously, a school in New Brighton, no longer met their needs. It had a lot of deferred maintenance that, uh, that um, was no longer reasonable to invest in that facility. And so now they've been uh, meeting at uh, Sister United Methodist Church, St. Anthony, uh, Anthony United Methodist Church, or Faith United Methodist Church in St. Anthony. And now we're at a point where they would they would like to move in here with all of you, and that's what we'll talk about more interactively uh, immediately following worship today. But what would it look like if there were actually two congregations that could share a facility, uh, share a witness in this community, and maybe support each other in different ways as we move into the future? I invite you to, to ponder that, and as well as maybe other opportunities that allow Olivet United Methodist Church not just to be satisfied with the gradual erosion of your work and witness, but maybe reinvent yourselves in some new ways. Just close with a, a reference. Uh, Randy, I think you'd met my mom. In fact, you were at my mom's funeral. And um, one of the, one of my favorite, my mom's favorite verses was, um, uh, Psalm 118, verse 24. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Uh, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And, and Mom actually adopted that in some ways as a greeting. She would use that with family members. She would use that with um, people at church. And she'd say, this is the day the Lord has made. And expect the response back. And let us rejoice and be glad in it. In fact, even when I was growing up and a little kid, we would sometimes end our day more or less with that kind of greeting back and forth, and, and she would, she'd ask us to reflect on just something good that happened during the day. She'd uh, lift us, when we're really little, lift us up in a bed, uh, pull the um, covers over us, uh, help us with our, our prayers, and then we talk about some good thing that happened during the day, and then close with that statement together. And then it was December of um, 19, um, or excuse me, of 2016, that after about a 10-year battle with cancer, mom was finally diagnosed to the point where it was going to be, it was in the terminal stages, and she would need to um, enter hospice care, and we decided to, as a family to work hard to, to keep her at home in that setting. And so we'd take turns and um, caring for mom and uh, tucking her into bed at night, and over the course of a couple months, it soon, it soon, I soon became aware that the tables had turned. I was now picking mom up, um, from the floor, laying her in her bed for the day, uh, putting, pulling the covers up and holding her hands. And we'd talk about something good that happened that day. 
Maybe it was just the sunlight that came through the window. Maybe it was a call from a friend. Maybe it was a card she received. But something good from that day. And then, and then, um, then it's say, this is the day the Lord has made. And she'd respond back, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then one day she, um, she asked me, so Dan, what's going to happen when I can't say my phrase anymore? And I said, well, then Mom will be there to say it for you. And it happened um, just two days after Easter of 19, uh, excuse me, yeah, of, um, of, uh, of 2017, Easter 2017, just after Easter. And um, no, it was actually past that year, it was 2018 then. And, and, uh, I said, this is the day the Lord has made, and Mom just turned her head slightly, but she no longer could mouth the words, so I had to say it for her. Um, let us rejoice and be glad in it, and then, and then three days after that, she quietly passed away on a Friday after Easter. And, and what strikes me, friends, is that, that that's a part of our Christian calling for all of us. Um, to, to hold the hands of each other as we're on this journey together, but there may come the point for all of us where we have to pick up and finish the sentence from the others because they can no longer do it for themselves. This beloved Christian faith that we celebrate today and has been so core in our lives is but one generation away from extinction. We have to be able to pick up the call to, to say, this is the day the Lord has made, and to be able to respond, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, at some point, we do that for the generation before us, and at some point, we pray to God that there will be those to say that for us as well, when we can no longer lift those words. And so, my friends, um, I give you thanks for the work and witness of all of it, United Methodist Church. You have a long, cherished history of your work and witness in this community, and I just pray that in our next um, steps that we will take together, we can find ways to continue with strength and with um, joy and optimism and perhaps even with the voices of new generations to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good job, Ken. Bless you. Um, really loved his family and his beloved mother. Yes, you've known her too. Oh, what a, what a saint. Um, before we um, close here, there may be somebody that has to leave and they can't come for a coffee hour that has a question. And I think we're just nearing our closing time. Is there somebody here that would like to address a question to Dan? Either in his message or, or the Methodist Church. I know there's a couple of um, Questions that I'm going to be addressing the individuals. Here. Certainly welcome, and not or I, I'm not running away. I'll be yes. Dan is here till midnight. So, <laughs> or well, or until the Packers game, right? Yes. Um, Green Lake. Good morning. I just want to let you all know that um, with the gay lesbian thing. I have a lot of relatives that are gay and lesbians and friends, and, and I love them very much. And if I didn't say that the Bible teaches us a sin, 
and I am a sinner myself. I mean, I am, but uh, I, I would feel at loss that I'm not warning them in advance that this is not of God, that Satan has tried to draw people away and, and that we, I mean, I, I've got a heavy heart for letting them know and my brother that was gay, he repented at his deathbed and he died last October 15th here. And um, I just, I feel, I, I just love these people and, and it's hard for me not to, not to love them because I love them and there's no, no doubt about it. I, I, and if I don't tell them that the Bible is teaching that it is a sin, that it is not right, and I, and you can still love the person and not love the sin. I, I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time, you know, expressing this. And this congregation did have a, a creative church here at one time, and we had the well, we had, we've had three churches worshiping in here, at the same time. And I think that people are just thinking, well, they aren't needed in church. They can worship anywhere. But it, you need the fellowship of other Christians to um, lift you up. And, and when you're down and you have these you know, days where everything is going wrong and, and some days you feel overwhelmed, I think that we have to you know, praise the Lord and thank Him for all this. And, and the, I had ice on my windshield this morning. I've got a frost thing, but I didn't put it on there. Well, <laughs> that's my fault. But God bless you all, and uh, may the Lord continue to guide and direct us as a church and a congregation. It, and like you say, it's just a building. It's the people that come to worship and to love each other and to minister to each other and to uplift each other. This is what our whole ministry is about. And dear God, I just thank you for this congregation and I thank you for your word, Lord, that we don't pick and choose your words, that what you have directed us and shown us what the words are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Reed. I don't need to. Do you want to close worship and we can have more okay, questions and responses? Okay, we're going to close here. Um, let us go to our bulletins at this time. As the ushers prepare to come front and center this morning, and we're be dealing with a lot of other questions. Um, offertory prayer, let's join in the offertory prayer printed in our bulletins if you'd be so kind to see. Ushers come front and center this morning. Holy God of redemption and transformation, this morning we remember the baptism of Jesus as well as our own. Though there was nothing in your son that needed cleansing, we know our insides are not that clean. We have dark, dirty corners that cannot be redeemed through gifts of money and good deeds. Only as we accept and acknowledge your gifts of grace through Christ can we be made clean, healthy, and whole. We give as those who are dependent on your grace, and we pray that our gifts will help others. Know the cleansing power of grace as well. In the name of Christ, who died for us, we pray. Amen. 
As the ushers come forward this morning, let us bring our offering to a Spirit of God, descend upon my heart, purple, number 537.
hearts. As we move through our life, we are bombarded with invitations to invest our dollars in things that will bring joy to us and those we love, yet we know we must cut through that noise we hear where we want to invest. We are focused on giving one another and the need to hear that we would give as to those who are for the forgotten, the unloved and those whose need is great. May the giving we do now help us hear your gospel more clearly and see your love for the poor and the meek and the needy more completely. In your love we give, in your love we are sent, and in your love we pray. Amen. Amen. If there are any announcements this morning, um, declare them with our praise game this morning. And uh, Joel, do you have a question? Thursday, 10 o'clock. I'll take down the decorations. Thursday at 10 o'clock. Thursday at 10 o'clock. Okay, I think it might have been the bulletin for Wednesday, but it's Thursday. Thursday for the authority that 20 some years have been putting up those decorations for Peterson's and since Vern passed and all the trying to work together with Vern and Winter Oats and the sandals to do in 45 minutes, it took us two and a half hours or so. So um, again, Thursday at what time? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Let us close the service with Spirit of the Living God, number 393.
What? 